Warning. This podcast contains graphic content that some listeners may find offensive or triggering. Listener discretion is advised. everyone, and welcome back to Bad News Betty. I'm your host, Hannon, and I'll be delivering you your weekly bone-chilling true crime fix every Murder Monday. Today, I'm covering the Klein Falls axe attack. This case is a little different in that it's an amazing survivor story. In the summer of 1977, two Yale undergrads, 19-year-old Terry Gents and her 20-year-old roommate, Avra Goldman, were cycling across the Trans-America Trail. The Trans-America Trail is an over 4,000-mile cross-continent route for touring bikes, dual-sport motorcycles, and off-road 4x4 vehicles. They started on the West Coast and were planning on working their way east to Virginia. A week into their adventure, they found themselves near Redmond, Oregon, and decided to stay overnight in the beautiful Klein Falls State Park. On June 22nd, they set up their campsite down by the Deschutes River. Both women recall the overwhelming sensation of being watched, which they voiced to each other, but both brushed it off thinking they were just being paranoid. I actually decided to look into this phenomenon because I think everyone's had this feeling at some point in their life. A study in Switzerland showed that we can detect people are looking at us within our field of view, perhaps out of the corner of our eye, even if we haven't consciously noticed it yet. So think about that next time you feel like you're being watched. While fast asleep in their tent that night, Terry was awoken around 11.30 p.m. to the sound of a truck pulling up near their campsite. She thought maybe it was just some drunk teenagers that were partying and they would probably leave soon. Terry then heard the truck accelerate and felt something large and heavy on top of her, pinning her down at her chest, and she realized that the truck had run her over. This resulted in both of her arms, her right leg, one of her collarbones, her nose, and several of her ribs being broken, as well as collapsing one of her lungs. The unknown assailant then got out of the vehicle holding an axe. Terry heard Avery yell at him to leave them alone before striking her in the head six times. Six. The attacker then got back into the vehicle, reversed off of Terry, and then came back over to her as she pleaded, take anything but leave us alone. Please just leave us alone. He then slowly brought the axe down towards Terry's chest and she obstructed it with her hands catching the blade. Remember, both of her arms are broken. For whatever reason, he withdrew the axe, got into his vehicle, and then drove away from the bloody scene. Terry was fueled by her will to survive and she was able to somehow get herself up, go to the tent to put her contact lenses in, and walk the best she could to the nearby road to try and find someone to help her and Avra after the brutal attack and she was in luck as a teenage couple, Bill and Darlene, were driving by. They saw that she was dripping with blood and stopped to help her. Terry directed them to their campsite where Avra still laid barely alive. They loaded them both up in their vehicle and sped off towards the nearest medical facility where the police and an ambulance were called. Remember, this is the 1970s, so no cell phones. The police arrived at the campsite a little after midnight, and while on scene, they examined the tire marks left behind and decided that the vehicle most likely had two rear and one front bald tire and one front tire with a very defined tread. While this was going on, Terry and Avra were both rushed by ambulance to St. Charles Medical Center where Avra underwent a nine-hour emergency brain surgery, and she survived. 
but she was left with permanent visual impairments. Due to her significant brain trauma, she didn't remember the attack at all and was unable to aid in giving any details that might help the investigation. Terry was unable to see the attacker's face, but described him as a young, probably in his early 20s, physically fit cowboy being around 5 foot 10 to 6 feet tall. She remembered he was wearing cowboy boots and had his shirt tucked neatly into his pants. The case ended up going cold pretty quickly with no significant evidence or leads, and sadly, the statute of limitations had run out in the 1980s, leaving the perpetrator virtually unpunishable. But 15 years later, in 1992, Terry traveled back to Oregon and decided to pick up the investigation herself. She obtained and went through police reports and interviewed anyone willing to speak to her about the attack. She was determined to find her attacker for her own sake and closure. While going through the police reports, Terry came across the name Richard Wayne Godwin, who went by Bud. This guy is a real piece of work. In 1979, two years after the attack, he was in prison for the sodomy, murder, and decapitation of a five-year-old girl whose skull he reportedly kept on his bedside table and used as a candle holder. While he was in prison, his cellmate came forward and said that he had confessed to attacking Terry and Avra two years prior. Unfortunately, though, jailhouse confessions aren't known for being very reliable. The cellmate told police that on the night of Terry and Avra's attack, Bud's young niece, with whom Bud allegedly had a sexual relationship with, it's a whole lot to unpack here, she was thought to have possibly been staying at the Klein Falls Park with her boyfriend, which sent Bud into a jealous rage, so he drove over the tent, running over the two inside. However, the cellmate said when he discovered it was not his niece, he fled the scene. The niece, who was in fact at the state park that night, denied knowing anything at all about her uncle being connected to the attack. Terry was also very firm that he did not resemble the man she recalled attacking her. Remember the earlier description that Terry gave of the attacker? Well, Bud was 5'6", weighed about 140 pounds, had brown and gray hair, and would have been in his early 30s when the attack occurred. He was never able to be concretely linked to the attack. During her investigation, Terry ended up at Darlene's home. Remember, Darlene was in the vehicle with her boyfriend and they found Terry and Avra shortly after they were attacked. Darlene told Terry that she had thought about that night frequently and told her that she should look into a man named Richard Dam, who went by Dick. He would have been 17 at the time of the attack. Dick had been interviewed by police several times in relation to the case. He took one initial polygraph test that came up inconclusive and a second one that determined he was being deceptive until it was found out that he had been under the influence of drugs while taking them, which rendered both tests useless. Police were never able to get a straight answer as to what Dick was doing the night of the 22nd all those years ago. They did, however, learn that the week of the attack, he had been in a fight with his girlfriend, Janie Fraley. According to Janie, Dick showed up drunk and angry at a nearby park where she was located. She states, He hit me several times and got me on the ground, and he hit me and was hitting me in the face, kicked me, was spitting on me. Fraley said she managed to get away from him, dove into a nearby pond, and swam away. She said she heard him say, I'm gonna kill you, bitch, as she was trying to swim to safety. She said Dick had been abusive to her throughout their entire relationship, and since 1977, he had racked up quite the criminal record. From my understanding, police felt strongly that he was their guy, but just didn't have enough evidence at the time to prove it. Police surmised that Dick may have thought she was camping in the park on the night of the attacks, and the attacker's sudden decision to leave may have been the result of realizing their mistake. 
Janie also later told authorities that she had noticed Dick changed the tires on his truck shortly after the attack and that a toolbox located in his truck bed where he always kept his hatchet had been removed. Janie even said that she visited the scene of the attack and said she recognized the tire tracks as being from Dick's truck. It was then that she knew he was the axe man. She's quoted as saying, without a shadow of a doubt, I knew that. A former state trooper stated, even though there's no physical evidence leaking him to the crime, if I took all of the statements that I had in all of my reports and was to take that to the grand jury, I am confident that I would get an indictment. I feel strongly about that. A man named Pat Daly, who had lived and worked in the area all his life, said over the years he had hired Dick for various jobs and has known him ever since the first rumors began spreading about the attacks at Climb Falls. Pat said that Dick would frequently bring up the attacks himself, saying that he knew everybody thought he did it, but always denied involvement and people were too afraid of him to go to the police with it. In 1995, Pat arranged for Dick to meet him at a local restaurant, but the meeting's real purpose was so Terry could get a good look at him to see if she was able to recognize him. She said his physique and the way he dressed match her memory of the cowboy who attacked her. She chose not to confront him, but it confirmed what she thought to be true. No similar attacks occurred at Climb Falls before or since that night in 1977. Terry Jentz wrote a book called Strange Peace of Paradise about her life and the attack. She also lobbied to have the law changed in regards to the statute of limitations in Oregon. Aver Goldman has refused to be interviewed or speak about the incident and reportedly won't even discuss it with Terry to this day, and the two have long since lost touch. Thank y'all for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Bad News Betty. I'd love to hear your feedback, and you can email me directly at badnewsbettypodcast at gmail.com. The link will be down in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll be back next Murder Monday with a brand new true crime episode. Until then, please only kill them with kindness and take care.